Thanks, Natalie. Thank you, worship team. It's good to change it up just a little bit from time to time, huh? Right? Rituals can be a wonderful thing that we get into rhythms and bring us into that place of worship, but sometimes it's good to mix up those rituals so that we're reminded of the purpose of the rituals and the why we do some of the things that we want to do. I'm going to encourage us to think about that. Think about perhaps patterns and rituals sometimes can get in the way of devotion. Thinking about a story a number of years ago, we were um, asked to speak at a church in Washington, the state of Washington. It was a, a RCA church, and we went up there, and we got to the church, and um, I noticed we're in this church right across the street was another RCA church. I thought, well, that's odd. Like what usually, you know, they choose. I asked our, our friend, I said, how come the church, I mean, e- even a, a, a different kind of denominational church to be right across the street is kind of odd, but the same denomination, why would that church be here? He said, well, here's, here's the story. You see, the church we're in, it was the original church, and it was growing, and it was vibrant. It was growing so much that they decided the leadership felt like we needed to do a campaign that would raise some money um, and build out the sanctuary. But we didn't have enough money that we'd have to incur debt. And so as the leadership of this church made that proposal, there was a portion of the church that was not happy about that. They did not believe the church should ever go in debt and so they, they started to argue back and forth. And the, so they decided to have some congregational meetings. And apparently our friend told us these congregational meetings got heated. And they started to bait, debate back and forth, back and forth. And, and people started to choose sides. It wasn't going well. So they decided that they would have a congregational vote. They had a congregational vote. And by the slimmest of margins... The renovation people won out. Well, the no-debt people of the church were so upset by this vote that they decided to leave. Leave the church. So almost half the church apparently left the church and they decided to buy the property across the street from the church and build a slightly bigger and better church. I'm sure they took on a mortgage and start their own church and stay in there. And it was kind of like in a, a monument that said, up yours across the street. <laughs> Sometimes the church is just the worst, isn't it? Sometimes it really, I don't mean to offend anyone by this word, but the church just sucks sometimes. Is that fair to say? Right? I know some of you don't like that word, but I'm going to, but in reality, if you've been a part of the church for a while, that, that you begin to realize that there is junk in the church. It's not this place where all the junk of the world goes. 
In fact, if you've dug into the church before, you realize that a lot of the world can affect the church. Perhaps you've been hurt and wounded by the church. You've experienced gossip about you. You, You've experienced some hurtful things said about you. And at worst, many people, unfortunately, have experienced abuse and scandal and betrayal at the hands of the church. When we've been thinking about the series, if there's one question that some people would have, especially to those who've been wounded by the church, we kind of wanted to put a little angst to the question and not simply say, why doesn't the church do what it's supposed to do at times? We, we thought maybe some of those would say, Jesus, I don't want to offend your bride, but why does it suck? Why does it hurt? Why is it so painful at times? Most of us know people who have been hurt and they said, you know what, I'm, I'm still in on Jesus, I'm still in on God, I love him, but the church, I'm out. I'm out. What do you think Jesus would say to someone who said that? That, that was the question. I think Jesus would give a number of responses. First, I think he'd say, you know, I'm sorry. When you were wounded in that way, I wept. I wept. It's not supposed to be that way. Maybe the little bit more lighthearted question, he might say, I've got some good news for you and I've got some bad news for you. The good news is, in a moment, in the, in the twinkle of an eye, I could fix the church. I could remove all that's wrong with it. That's good news, isn't it? Here's the bad news. Is if I did that, you wouldn't be a part of it anymore. Right? Why does the church suck? People suck sometimes, yes? Yes? You have any institution with people in it, there's going to be times that it sucks. Oh, now you're saying the word for me, right? There's a good. You, you understand that idea, that, that pain and that hardship. And I think a, a, another response that Jesus would give is, Can I share with you the why I created the church? Can I share with you that when it's operating the way that it's intention to operate, when it's living out its purposes, that's when it's beautiful. That's when the church is thriving. That's when the church, people won't want to go away and quit on the church. They'll want to engage and come to the church. Could I share with you the intention? By the way, Scripture knows nothing of the Christian faith being lived out in solo. Scripture knows nothing of Lone Ranger 
Christians. Jesus died for you to have a life of thriving and excelling, but part of that life is a community. He wants to change the world through this community, this thing that we call church. So he doesn't really give us the option biblically to say, I'm out. I think in his grace, he gives us seasons and moments of that. But could we look at the purpose? And I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you. The church is an easy target to complain about, isn't it? Yes? I want to challenge and encourage if we live into the purposes of the church that we have an opportunity by our individual actions to make the church suck less. Would you hear that as a challenge this morning? I mean, it's a pretty low bar, isn't it? <laughs> but let's start there. I'm going to increase the bar just a little bit, Anya. But the first bar is you, if you do some of these things, I believe the, the church would suck less. Or turn with me to the story of Pentecost. The, what is known as the Pentecost is known rooted in that festival that Jedediah went back to in uh, the, the history of the people of God. And yet it was this moment Jesus dies on the cross. He's resurrected. He ascends to heaven. He says, wait in Jerusalem. The people are weighing. This is Acts 2. And they're praying in the upper room. They're longing for God, they're unsure what will happen, where to go, what they're supposed to do. All they know is that Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. And so they're waiting. It's the festival. And if you look at Acts chapter 2, the beginning of that, that's what we read. The first four verses, they're praying. Probably there was 120 of them praying. And the Spirit comes, pours out the love of the Father and then the church begins. And you've got Jews from around the known world that had come to Jerusalem for the festival. They see this and they go, are those folks drunk? What is happening? Peter stands up filled with the Spirit and he says, let me explain what's happening. Now, that's all a beautiful and cool story. Would you read Acts 2 sometime later today? all the way through Acts chapter 2. But we're going to read the very end of Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at the final, the, the result. So thousands are going to hear the message of Jesus as the Messiah and resurrected, and then we get this community, this fledgling community, and I want you to pay attention to what this community looks like, the dynamic of the community. This is really the early church from Pentecost. Verse 42, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves, this is the community, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. To the breaking of the bread, that's probably communion, a reference, and to prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and the signs performed by the apostles. Remember, this isn't a one and done. This is the elements 
of an ongoing, life-giving community. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Remember, the Jewish temple was still present in Jerusalem. They were meeting there, the early church. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Does that sound like a pretty neat community? Does that sound like a community that you would like to be a part of? That community doesn't suck. Yes? There's these dynamics that were happening that's a beautiful thing. And I want to suggest that within these verses, we see some of the purposes of the church. We see what the church is meant to be about. Some of the dynamics of this community that we're meant to live into. I want to give you three pictures, and I want you to think about that. Many of us, we've been a part of a church for a long time. Would you set aside some of these preconceived notions of what church is supposed to be about? especially if we've been hurt or wounded by the church, would you just take a moment to set those aside and say, Jesus, what was your intention for the church? Now I'll give you three pictures. The first picture I'd like for you to get in your mind is this idea of temple. All right? I brought, brought this portrait from... Uh, my house, it was hanging on my wall. My, my wife is out of town, so she couldn't tell me no, right? <laughs> Jedediah asked if I painted this this morning. No, I did not. It would look horrible if I did. But this is just a little bit of a country church. Can you see that? And this little country church, would you think about this little country church by itself? Would you think of this little church as a temple? as a temple. Now remember, the, the temple, the, the Jewish temple, which was huge and was massive, that Herod rebuilt, they understood first and foremost this community. That's why the early church is going to the early temple, even though they're in the courts because they you know, are deemed a sect and kind of not really Jewish, yet they're going to that. And think about all of their understanding of what the temple of God represented. Think about some of the stories in the Old Testament when, when Solomon built the temple and what happened he prays there and then the glory of God fell on the temple and the presence of God was available to people think about how they, they cared about the presence the, the bread of presence that was in the temple the curtain that separated the holy of holies from the rest of the people this was the presence of the one true living God resting on earth They saw the temple as that. 
I wonder persecution is just was about to break out and most of the Christians would be driven from Jerusalem. And I wonder if they said, God, what about the town? That's where we meet you. That's where we experience you. And in fact, in another generation later, 70 AD, you know what would happen to that temple? As Jesus prophetically predicted, the temple would be dismantled stone by stone by stone. I wonder if the Christians, like the Jews, these were Jewish Christians, said, God, what about... What about your, your presence? What about your, the place of prayer? What about adoration and worship? The Apostle Paul, very early, even probably before the destruction of the temple, he would say, let me explain to you people that Christianity changes the meaning of worship and the location of worship. That now the temple becomes, to a certain degree, irrelevant. The location would become irrelevant. He would say, don't you know, Christians, you are that Temple. Take all the Old Testament stories of, of God's glory, of God's presence, of the place of prayer, and place it within. But he wouldn't just say that individually. What, what Paul would say is he would say, corporately, this is the experience as well. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3.16, he's talking not about the temple, he's talking about the gathered church. This moment when we get together as Christians, he would say this, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? You don't need the temple you don't need any place that there is this dynamic that happens when you gather together. It's mysterious. It's hard to put words to. But the presence of the living God is meant to fill and touch you in this special moment of gathering. A number of years ago, I went on a sabbatical and and with my wife, decided to just visit different churches into the community. And, and I wanted to go to an Eastern Orthodox church. And I warned my wife that it would be a little bit different of an experience. They follow a liturgy that was created in the 4th century. You can feel that difference in the liturgy. There weren't really chairs for us to sit in. We walked in. But one of the things that you notice right away is there are these paintings that were beautiful, the, the color popped up. It was like you would see angels and archangels. And then the choir sang, it was in the shape of a, a cross, but the choir, you couldn't quite see them, and yet they kind of like sang throughout the whole service. There was a, a moment that the priest, he was behind a wall, <laughs> All of that, there, there were portraits um, 
icons of saints. The theology behind the Eastern Orthodox Church is that when the church gathers to worship, it's where heaven kisses earth and the presence of God is experienced uniquely. It's the place of adoration and prayer and worship and truth. In fact, if you read some of their literature, they, they would say we, we're mindful we have those icons of saints that have passed because we're mindful that we're entering this sacred space where we're gathered with one another on a human level and yet we're gathered with the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. I want to suggest that sometimes I think church really misses the mark when we lose that sense of temple, when we lose that sense of presence and reverence. May I dare say that we've commercialized our Sunday morning experience, kind of like what we've done with Christmas. And sometimes I lament at that. And I long for that dynamic of, of temple, right? What Jesus said about the temple, and I think you can apply it to the gathered church, he said, this is a place of prayer above everything else. It's a place of authentic connection with God. For each one of these pictures, I have a practical way that you could perhaps, rather than us complaining about how the church misses it and is off, that we could make the church a little bit more what Jesus intended. I want to suggest the first way would be we stop attending church with people-centered in mind and God-centered in mind. We keep this picture of temple. We keep the priority of prayer. We keep the priority of I am coming, I'm walking through these doors to meet and experience God. I'm fine with us being seeker-friendly you're a guest here. We try and be mindful of your experience. But we're never going to be seeker-centered. We're never going to be people-centered. And I confess, this is a hard, right? It, we're, we're, we are selfish oftentimes, aren't we? And so every experience, no matter how good, we begin from the places, what is it for me? Do I like the song? Do I like the message? Would you begin from a place of God-centeredness? In fact, Jesus would anticipate the destruction of the temple. And when the Samaritan woman at the well 
He was reading her mail. He was telling her about her life and she wanted to change the subject really fast. So she changed it to the subject where the Samaritans disagreed that they could worship another on another mountain besides Jerusalem and the temple and the Jews disagreed and there was fighting and back and forth. So she brings this up with Jesus to get the focus off her own life. And listen to what Jesus says. I'm so glad she did this because Jesus said this. Yet a time is coming and has now come. New covenant time. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. He's seeking True worshipers right now. God is spirit and he worship and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Right? That's why Pentecost happened. It changed our worship forever. Not just the location, but how we approach. The spirit came and he said, every time you gather, I'll fill, empower, I'll allow you to experience me. And my voice. What would it look like if we came Sunday after Sunday and gathered together and said, God, I want to be a a worshiper that you desire. I want to give my heart to you. I want to pray. I want to experience you. Would you help me, Jesus, make it less about me and more about you? Would the church suck less? I think it'd suck a lot less. That's one portrait, the portrait of the temple. This second portrait is this, this idea of a home. Would you think of this little country church and realize it doesn't matter how big the church is, whether it's in the country, whether it's in the city, whether it's in the suburbs, that not only is this little church meant to be a a temple, it's meant to be a home. Some would say a hospital, that's fair. But it's meant to be part of that. Did you notice that the, the people in, in the verses, the early church, they were going to the, the temple and worshiping God, experience him, and yet at the same time, look at verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There was this community that happened. Now, of course, these were Jewish Christians. They understood family. They understood community to a certain degree. But they recognized that in this moment, it was something different. That this family would move to a place of a places of community like biological family or, or, or relationships with friends or, or, or work or whatever that is. That this church became, you could say, a spirit empowered, a spirit filled community. That the spirit of God, think about this for a moment, the spirit of God is 
God, the the goodness of God, the love of God, the kindness of God, that he seeks to manifest his love and kindness in our lives. And then from that moment, going from this idea of temple to the home, that his goodness is poured out in our relationships. And we become a community unlike the world has known. This is, how else would you explain this radical generosity that we read in these verses? The profound joy and gladness and devotion, the beautiful sincerity and authenticity. People selling and saying, there's a need. I want to step into that. Can you imagine being a part of a community that that was that loving, that sincere, that authentic? Sign me up for that community. Sign me up for that family. Is it fair to say that in relationships, that's where the church has let so many of us down in the past? Yes? We've been hurt for people, by people. We've experienced betrayal and gossip. We've had hurtful things by Christian people in our same church. They've said things that have hurt us. What are we going to do about that? I'll tell you, being a pastor for so many years, I've seen people, it happen. Sometimes people just leave the church and they find another church and hope for better. And they will experience better as long as there's no people in that other church that they go to, it will be a better experience for them, okay? But also sometimes, and probably all of us have known friends who have done that, and they just said, I'm done. I quit. I'm, I'm calling time out on the church. Maybe some of you have been there in the past for a season, and you say, I'm out. I think scripture in a very powerful way suggests a different response in those moments. There is a phenomenon in scripture called the one another's of scripture. In fact, I just have some the, on the screen. We have the, there's, There's quite a few one another's in there, isn't there? Let's read, be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit knew that we were going to mess up in our relationships with one another that he was going to give instruction for us and a lot of instruction. He's saying don't quit on one another. In fact, I think there's one one another, actually two, that I think is so crucial. It's from Colossians 3.13. Bear with one another. That word bear, you can think of that as endure, tolerate. Would you 
Would you, don't, don't quit on each other. Would you, would you endure with one another? Jesus, they were so mature, I couldn't believe that. I, I get it. Would you endure that immaturity? Jesus, you don't understand. They, I told them this in confidence, and they said that. You can also interpret that bear as stomach. Would you stomach the blemishes and the hurts and the wounds of one another? Paul goes on. He says, bear with one another, with each other, and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against Someone And here's the kicker. Here's why the church is meant to be a different community than any other place. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Friends, here's the biggest issue with the church is we take our cues in relationships with one another from our background, from our families, from our friends. And oftentimes, that ain't good. Sometimes it can be good. Oftentimes it's not. He's saying, would you take your cues from how the Father has treated you? How I've forgiven you. I've loved you. I've stomached your sin. I've not quit on you. So don't quit on one another. This is why one of our values as a church, we have three values. One of the values is sacred friendship. Our relationships are meant to be different than the world. We're meant to to journey with one another, forgive one another. So often, I believe, just when God is about to form and shape an individual and really challenge and they're about to grow, they quit on the church. How awesome would it be if we had sacred friendships where we had difficult conversations, where we spoke the truth in love, where we were able to say, you know what, Robert, you hurt me. I'm not quitting on our relationship. I love you, Robert, but I want you to know this hurt. Wouldn't it be neat if rather than canceling and dismissing and saying, I'm out of here, we said, man, I'm, I'm hurting, but I'm here. I forgive. I, I love. I'm with you. Boy, I long to be a part of a church like that. Third picture, you've got this little church as a temple, this little church as a home Also, there's this idea of a mission outpost. The Ply Hospital 
to this as well. Look at verse 47, right? This is the beginning and budding of this early church. It says, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This idea of temple and home is powerful. In fact, I've been part of churches that have done really well the temple and the home, that we have done community well. But if you miss this third picture, you're not fully living into the mission of the church, and that is to be a mission outpost. Do you know what God's plan is for this broken world? How he wants to heal it and restore it? Do you know what God's chosen instrument to heal his world, to proclaim the gospel, do you know what that chosen instrument is? It's the church. The church is... That's why, why really scripture knows nothing of that individual Christian. No, he's created this community with gifts and calling and love and hope. And he says, now would you share with one another as a family, would you share this incredible message that God loves you and has a plan for you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. So often the church misses it in really two ways. We experience the love of God and yet fail to be on mission. These pictures work together in that way. Again, we're filled with the loving kindness of God in the temple. We experience him. And then that overflows into our relationship. That loving, loving kindness fills one another. And then if it stops there, then we're not being the early church. It's meant to flow to this broken and hurting world. How beautiful would it be if we were to live the church in that way? A little bit later in Acts 4, 33 and 34, I love the way it, this is put. This is the early church again, and with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that there were no needy persons among them. I love that phrase because so often the church can experience mission drift. And they can lose the core that our mission is the proclamation of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? That sometimes that, that the, at the core of uh, the mission of the church is nothing else but the proclamation of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and an invitation for people to receive his grace and loving kindness. It's not politics. 
It's not social justice. It's not education and institution. All those things can have their place. But the mission of the church is the proclamation of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has for you. Jesus is looking for that church that would be the mission outpost that would share the love of God with this broken world. That we would not form enemies who see things different than us. We would not form enemies in political parties, but we would do everything we could to share the love of God especially for the least of these, especially for those who see things different from me. I'm getting so hot up here. This is, maybe it's because it's Pentecost Sunday. (laughs) I want to leave you with these two confessions. The first confession is this. Growing up, I couldn't have been more disinterested in the church. I couldn't have been more bored by the church. I remember looking up at the pastor and going, who would want to make their living like that? (laughs) God indeed has a sense of humor, does he not? And in college, I fell in love with Jesus. But you know when, like, you have a good friend and you don't really like the spouse that they're married to? That was my experience. I saw the church as boring, irrelevant. And I, I didn't want to quit on the church. I never wanted to start on the church as an adult. Right? That's a longer story for another time of how in the world I became the pastor. But maybe it's related to the second confession. It's not a popular one. I've fallen in love with the church. I mean, think about how beautiful it is for a moment that... This moment that we read in Acts 2, right? They were a couple thousand, this little fledgling movement. What were the odds that this little church would survive and the Roman Empire? With all its land and military and wealth and power, that that would crumble. And this little fledgling movement would survive. How do you explain that? And to think of the church, of what God said, yes, it has blemishes. Yes, there's a struggle. Yes, but it's my community. It's the place that more than any other place you can experience me. It's the place where, where there's this home and this environment and oftentimes even when your own biological family gives up on you, I'll instruct my people to stomach you. It's the place that brings 
purpose and mission to your life. We have a very skewed view of the church in the West. Around the world, it's thriving and it's beautiful and it's empowered. There's places even that don't allow the church to be church. They're growing. Places like China and Iran. So part of my desire is to allow this love of the church to grow and allow him to teach me to be a true worshiper, to be a sacred friend, to be part of a family on mission. Would you pray with me? Some of us who just have to forgive that person or that church institution that hurt us. Just between you and the Lord, would you take a moment just to just bring that person or, or the church before the Lord by His grace? Would you lay that before the Lord? And then maybe for some of us, that idea of us being self-centered rather than God-centered, really connected. Just take a moment to say, Lord, I want to be that true worshiper that you long for. For some of us, the idea of friendship, we've been hurt, and yet we realize that we've not been really good sacred friends. Lord, would you help me to bear with others and forgive others? Just take a little bit of time to share that. And for some of us, we realize we just really pursued our own agendas, or our own wealth or prosperity or happiness, whatever that is. It's been the, the focus of our lives, not his kingdom, his work, his mission in this world. Just lay that before him. A little over time, so I'm going to give the benediction. If you want to stand, I'll give the benediction. If you want to hang out and worship, Kate, that last scripture.
on there. I'd like them to see the benediction. If you want to open up your hands, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen and amen.